0: Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast.
0: On today's program, Virginia megachurch pastor John Blanchard had sexual solicitation charges against him dropped. But protesters are showing up at his church. And even the town's police chief thinks that the case was mishandled. We'll have details. Also on today's program, Open Doors releases its annual watch list, which tracks persecution of Christians around the world. This year's conclusions are bleak, and we'll explain why.
1: We begin today with a lawsuit involving Bryan College that's been dragging on for more than five years.
0: Yeah, an appellate court in Tennessee has breathed new life into the conflict between Bryan College and the National Association of Christian Athletes, or NACA, over ownership of a camp called Fort Bluff Camp in eastern Tennessee. The Court of Appeals of Tennessee at Knoxville held on January the 9th that the circuit court for Ray County had erred in dismissing the claims alleged by NACA against Bryan College.
1: Fort Bluff in Dayton, Tennessee, has been operated by NACA since 1990, hosting thousands of campers, athletic events, and tournaments. Bryant College is a Christian liberal arts college in Dayton that was founded in
0: 1930. Yeah, the appellate court held that NACA's five claims against Bryan College, including conversion, unjust enrichment, and fraudulent inducement were improperly dismissed at the lower court level and should be allowed to proceed. The court, though, did not make any decision about the actual merits of NACA's claims. However, so that means that NACA will still have to prove those claims at the lower court level.
1: John Bollinger, the president of NACA, said this has been five years of just being patient, persistent, and persevering to get to that ruling. We felt like the justice in the appeals court finally heard what we've been trying to say to the public in Bryan College.
0: However, Ballinger also hopes the dispute can be resolved privately. He doesn't want it to go to court. He says that Scripture tells us that we should not publicly air our disputes, he said, that we should do this internally as organizations because of the lens it puts on the Christian faith.
1: Events leading to the lawsuit began over a decade ago in 2009 when allegations of sexual impropriety caused an upheaval in leadership at NACA.
0: Several individuals associated with Bryan College, including its then president, Stephen Livesay, joined NACA's board to replace the board members who resigned over the scandal. Then in 2016, this new Bryan College friendly board turned the Fort Bluff camp over to Bryan College. They assumed less than a million dollars worth of debt when they took over the camp, but the property itself was worth about $7 million.
1: Our next story involves a seminary that has allegedly defrauded military veterans and the U.S. government out of millions of dollars.
0: The U.S. Department of Justice has claimed about $150,000 in property from an organization called the House of Prayer Christian Churches of America Incorporated and its affiliated seminaries as retribution for what it calls a scheme to defraud the United States of money and military veterans of educational benefits. Now, the total amount of this alleged fraud, Natasha, estimated to be $22 million dollars.
1: House of Prayer Christian Churches run five churches and 12 seminaries, 11 of them near military bases.
0: The House of Prayer Christian Churches organization also is currently under investigation by the FBI and the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs Office of the Inspector General for other possible violations of different federal laws, including money laundering, conspiracy to commit money laundering, and conspiracy to commit wire fraud.
1: And we've previously reported on troubles at House of Prayer Christian Churches.
0: We did. Last June, the government raided the group's churches in Georgia, North Carolina, and Texas, again, all of them near military bases. Law enforcement found evidence that employees and agents of the seminary had committed crimes aided and abetted by the HOPCC, including taking government education money without providing any education benefit in exchange.
1: Next up, we have our third story this week about a Christian college.
0: Fired Oklahoma Christian University professor Michael O'Keefe has filed a lawsuit against his former employer claiming breach of contract, libel, false light, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. O'Keefe is a graphic design, or was, I should say, a graphic design professor who had worked at the university for 41 years. He was dismissed in March of last year in a meeting with Jeff McCormick, the university's chief academic officer, and Stephen Eck, the legal counsel for the school.
1: The firing gained national attention after O'Keefe claimed his termination was because he had a gay speaker in his business of branding course.
0: The university, which is associated with the Churches of Christ, responded January 10th with a petition to dismiss Hale's portion of the suit and a motion to compel arbitration with O'Keefe, the professor. The university has also asserted that Eck was acting within the scope and course of his employment and that claims against him should also be dismissed.
1: Annual contracts signed by Oklahoma Christian faculty, including tenured faculty such as O'Keefe, include a clause requiring arbitration to resolve any dispute, controversy, or claimed breach of contract.
0: But O'Keefe's attorney, Kevin Jacobs of Dallas, who also previously had served as president of Oklahoma Christian, told the Christian Chronicle that they did not believe their suit falls under arbitration. A university spokesman shared a statement attributed to university leadership saying this, while OC, Oklahoma Christian, takes seriously any legal matter, we feel confident in our legal position the university will not be deterred from our mission of delivering high quality Christian education.
1: Warren, let's look at one more story before the break. It's a story of a church treasurer in Kentucky who will be beginning a 33-month prison sentence in March for wire fraud and must pay over $500,000 in restitution to the church he stole from.
0: Court documents say that from December of 2015 until July of 2019, nearly four years, church treasurer Ralph Tackett who's 66 years old, embezzled over $500,000 from Victory Life Church in Georgetown, Kentucky, and intentionally concealed bank account statements from church leaders in order to avoid detection.
1: In court, Tackett claimed he needed the money to pay a blackmailer.
0: That's right. And records show that Tackett did directly pay uh, almost $200,000, $187,000 on his credit cards with church funds to pay off an out-of-state individual who had been threatening him.
1: Court records acknowledged evidence that Tackett was a victim of cyber-stalking and legitimately fearful of exposure of his sexual exploits.
0: The sentencing memorandum said that Tackett, though, had years to report those threats and had failed to do so. He continued stealing from others to protect himself and his family's reputation, while the church, especially its pastor, suffered and continues to suffer as it rebuilds from this betrayal. The memorandum continued that he treated the donations and funds of the church as if he were entitled to them. He managed the church's operating account as if it were his own secret bank account.
1: The sentencing memorandum suggests one of the reasons Tackett was able to get away with this crime is that there were no checks and balances built into the accounting process at the church.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that I wanted to feature this story today, Natasha, because, you know, Tackett's behavior and his attempts to conceal his misappropriation were not that complex. Apparently, he had just gotten involved in some, um, you know, unsavory activities with someone online that he didn't know. That person tried to blackmail him. He started paying him money. Um, The role of the church treasurer reportedly, though, went completely unchecked, and that made these crimes pretty easy for him to conceal. Uh, any simple review of the church's bank account statements alone would have revealed Mr. Tackett's crime, the sentencing memorandum said. He stole money by making electric trans- electronic transfers, cashing checks into his personal bank account, and literally taking money out of the offering trays. Uh, the means to an end were simple easy and opportunistic. It was just a simple lack of oversight that caused this crime to go on for so long.
1: Well, Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, Open Doors released its annual list of the 50 countries where Christians face the most persecution. We'll have details. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break.
2: Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, up next, the story we promised before the break.
0: That's right, Natasha. In the three decades since the Religious Liberty Organization Open doors has been compiling its World Watch list of the 50 countries where Christians faced the most persecution for their faith, they say that the persecution has never been worse than now.
1: That's according to the 2023 World Watch List released Tuesday, January 17th, which showed North Korea returning to the top spot after scoring its highest level of persecution ever following an increase in arrests of Christians under its anti-reactionary thought law.
0: Yeah, you said that North Korea returned to the top of the list. That's because last year, Afghanistan was at the top of the list. They had taken North Korea's top spot. It's the first and only time since 2002 that North Korea wasn't in that number one spot. But last year, Afghanistan uh, was facing uh, a takeover by the Taliban of that country, and that forced many Afghan Christians into hiding. Afghanistan, in fact, dropped pretty significantly this year to number nine in this year's rankings as the organization says that the Taliban has now shifted its focus from searching out Christians to searching out those with links to the country's former government.
1: The number of countries on the World Watch list reporting high levels of persecution has increased, nearly doubling since the first list was compiled in 1993. So has the intensity of that persecution.
0: That's right, and I should add that Open Doors really goes to a lot of rigor to compile this list. More than 4,000 people, including teams of researchers and lawyers, contribute data to the list, and academics and politicians interested in religious liberty have come to rely on the list, including people like me here in journalism, have Christians who are motivated to pray and support other believers facing persecution around the world.
1: Our next story involves Virginia pastor John Blanchard, who we've reported on before, but this new twist is unusual. In fact, in the time that we've been doing the podcast, I don't think I've ever heard of a situation quite like this one. But before we talk about why it's unusual, can you give us a little bit of background?
0: Well, first, you're right. It is very unusual. And secondly, uh, the background, as you asked for, is this. In October of 2021, uh, John Blanchard, a pastor of a big church up in Virginia, was one of 17 men arrested in connection with a prostitution sting, and he was subsequently charged with solicitation of prostitution from a minor. Those charges against him, however, were subsequently dropped.
1: But this is where it takes an unusual turn.
0: While his charges were tentatively dropped a year later in October of 2022, and by the way, we reported both when it originally happened and when those charges were dropped, prosecutors and police, and even one Virginia lawmaker, have apparently been at odds over whether Blanchard should be brought to trial.
1: Virginia State Delegate Tim Anderson, who represents Virginia Beach and is also a lawyer, has been particularly critical.
0: He has been. In fact, he wrote a Facebook post back in November that said this In my legal opinion, from what I have seen, there's no excuse not to prosecute this case. If Blanchard is found not guilty, Or if he's acquitted that's one thing but to use prosecutorial discretion and say nothing happened here that in my opinion is an abuse of discretion
1: the local police chief has also been critical of how this case has been handled
0: At the time that Blanchard was arrested, local police chief Colonel Jeffrey Katz refrained from criticizing prosecutors. He said this, the decision to prosecute or not prosecute a case rests with the county's elected Commonwealth attorney. The only person who can bring clarity to this decision is the person who made it. It would be irresponsible for anyone to speculate on such an important decision.
1: Nevertheless, Katz has been less supportive of prosecutors with regard to how Blanchard's request to have a criminal record expunged has been handled.
0: You're exactly right about that. In fact, in December of last year, just a couple of just a month ago, really, uh, during his first appearance on stage, again, I want to emphasize here that John Blanchard is now back in the pulpit, preaching at the Rock Church. Since it's the first time back since his 2021 arrest, Blanchard not only defended his innocence to the congregation, but he pledged to recover the good name of Rock Church in the community by moving forward with legal action. Soon after these remarks, Blanchard filed an expungement petition. And while the court has not ruled on the petition, Chesterfield County Commonwealth Attorney Stacey Davenport said that she had no objection to it.
1: And that's when Katz, the police chief, finally spoke out.
0: Yeah, that's right. He said this As a matter of principle, I have found it necessary to make a few public statements regarding the arrest of Pastor John Blanchard. These statements have consistently reinforced my fervent support for the quality of the case and the investigative efforts of my staff. That has not changed. Katz also defended his decision to release documents related to the case. He wrote this Pursue it to a Freedom of Information Act request filed in In November of 2022, I exercised my discretion under the law to publicly release the details of this investigation because I believe there is a compelling public interest in maintaining as much transparency as possible with this case.
1: Katz went on to reiterate that, according to police, Blanchard was caught texting an undercover agent posing as a 17-year-old using texting lingo known to represent solicitation for sex.
0: Katz said this, I believe a jury of Chesterfield County residents deserves to weigh in on the matter of criminal culpability. Katz said that there was sufficient evidence to go to trial. He said, we know what we're doing. We do it very well, and we will continue to proceed with such investigations in the future any assertion to the contrary needs to be articulated by the commonwealth attorney which is essentially the attorney general for the state of texas despite numerous convictions on cases with similar and in some cases less compelling evidence we have not been given any guidance as to where this investigation fell short of prosecutorial expectations
1: in the meantime john blanchard continues to preach
0: that's right both blanchard and the church will have to contend though with public opinion in december of 2022 uh protesters organized outside the campus of rock church calling on the church to remove blanchard as pastor or for blanchard to willingly step down
1: we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of ministry news of the week I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. That's SavetheStorks.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Now we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first?
0: The North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention uh, announced late Friday of last week the death of one of their staffers, Clint. Clifton, who died in a plane crash in Dawson County, Georgia, that's up in North Georgia, late Thursday, in other words, the evening before. Clint Clifton had a long history as a church planter, and his success there led him to take on roles with the North American Mission Board, which is kind of the missions agency for the United States, as opposed to the International Mission Board, which covers the overseas stuff, to encourage and train other church planters. As a consequence of that work, uh, Clint Clifton was widely known in Southern Baptist circles. A statement by the SBC said this, God generously gifted Clint in so many ways. He had a pastor's heart and was a talented church planter with a passion for reaching people for Christ. Clint and his wife Jennifer had been married since 2000 and they had five children.
1: We also have some news from the world of charity and philanthropy.
0: Money given to charities was up, but the number of individual donors was down during the first three quarters of 2022, according to a new report from the Fundraising Effectiveness Project.
1: We've reported on this trend before. In fact, this is the third year in a row that charitable giving followed that pattern, according to the Fundraising Effectiveness Project's annual third quarter reports.
0: The total amount of dollars raised during the first nine months of 2022 was up nearly 9%, but the number of donors fell by about 7% compared to 2021, at least according to the report, which was based on an analysis of data from about 8,000 nonprofit organizations. And
1: who do we have in the ministry spotlight this week?
0: Well, this week we're focusing on Love One International. It's a relatively new ministry. It began about 10 years ago, and its primary um, area of focus is on a facility they have in Uganda called the Love One Center. They help critically ill children, Uh, who need medical care, restoring them to health, and then hopefully returning them to their homes or trying to find adoptive homes for them. The ministry has seen significant revenue growth in recent years, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to shine the spotlight on them. Just five years ago, the organization did about a million dollars a year. Today, it's over $6 million in donations. Uh, By the way, Ministry Watch gives them a donor confidence score of 88 out of a possible 100, which means give with confidence. And the organization recently joined the ECFA, the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. So good for them for doing that. You can read more about this ministry at the Ministry Watch website, ministrywatch.com.
1: And who did Christina highlight in Ministries Making a Difference?
0: Well, three or four ministers, actually, but I want to mention a couple of them today, uh, Natasha. Samaritan's Purse last week deployed disaster relief teams both to Selma, Alabama, and Griffin, Georgia after tornadoes ripped through the areas on Thursday, destroying homes, causing significant power outages and resulting in the deaths of several people. And also want to mention Door International. They're creating signed sign language translation tool software that will help streamline the process of translating the Bible into the more than 375 sign languages that exist globally. Uh, I should add that deaf peoples are among the least evangelized people groups on the planet. Only about 70 to 75 of those 375 sign languages currently have active Bible translations according to DOOR.
1: Do you have any final thoughts before we go?
0: Well, just a couple. Uh, I mentioned fairly constantly here at Ministry Watch the importance of the Form 990. We use them every day here, and we encourage donors to look at them before they give to a ministry. In the past, we've done a webinar entitled How to Find and Read a Form 990. This webinar has proven so successful that we've repeated it three or four times over the last couple of years, and we're doing it again. It'll take place on February the 1st at four clock in the afternoon It'll last just one hour, so you don't have to commit your entire afternoon to it. Uh, just check the Daily Ministry Watch email for a link to the registration page. I should add, it's absolutely free, but you do need to register to get all the links and details. Do you have anything else? Yeah, I did want to mention one other thing. Don't forget to rate us or leave a comment on your podcast app. Not only do these comments help us know what you're thinking so we can make improvements to the podcast, but the more ratings and comments we get, the easier it is for people to find us. That's a huge help to us, and it helps us expand our reach.
1: The producers for today's program are Rich Rosl and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Jessica Ederalde, Ann Steich, Kim Roberts, Cheryl Mann-Bacon, Emily McFarlane-Miller, Dale Chamberlain, Adele M. Banks, Jonathan Howe, Christina Darnell, and Rod Pitzer. A special thanks to The Christian Chronicle and churchleaders.com for contributing contributing. contributing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.